Welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Vry. I'm an editor and contributor for Anime Feminist. You can find me on Twitter, at Ryder Vry. And if you check my pinned tweet, you'll see all the places I freelance. Or you can find the other podcast I'm on, at TrashPod. With me today are Caitlin and Dee. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I'm a writer and editor for Anime Feminist, as well as having my own blog, uh, I Have a Heroin Problem. Heroin with an E. Uh, I review anime for the Daily Dot, and I will be starting... Uh, it should be up by the time this podcast comes out. A King of the Hill watch along blog, blog called Patreon Patron of the Patriarch of the Knoll. That's amazing. This is the this is my first time hearing <laughs> about this. Good. So hard same. <laughs> I I'm just interested. made the Tumblr. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't have any exciting news uh, like that, but I'm Dee, the managing editor at Anifem. Uh You can find all my writings on my blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can find me on Twitter at Jose Next Door. And welcome back to our rewatch long of Escaflone, which I can't believe we didn't think of right off the bat. Thank you, Peter, for that. Uh, that's what we're calling them now. <laughs> it's a good title. It was an it's obvious good. title, yeah, but yes, it is very good, too. We, we overshot the <laughs> Clearly. Moon. We overshot the moon and went to the planet behind it. This time around, we're watching episodes 14 through 20. So we are officially in the thick of it, of the weird shit happening in this series. And because this is a series where many, where everything happens so yes. much, and yet it vanishes from your mind instantaneously, <laughs> not unlike a man in a tan jacket, I have compiled a handy list of notes to refresh your memory as to what the heck happened over the course of these seven so, episodes. Good, because I, I... I need it. Yeah, so you know how you know how for, <laughs> Fushigi, for Fushigi Yugi we coined the tagline Fushigi Yugi, you will have an emotion? Um, I'm pretty sure it's yes. Escaflone. Everything happens so much. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> but, what needs to be on the box I for mean, this one. I think we need to, to incorporate the collective amnesia that Escaflone fans always have into that for it to really work. Escaflone, yeah. you will not remember. <laughs> That's unkind. Escaflone already lives in Evangelion's shadow. It literally premiered and right And we remember it. a lot about Aww. it, just not the plot points. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Van almost died after fusing with his... With, uh, with, with his guy Melf, we introduced Dryden, Malerna's fiancé, who we didn't know about. And he was able to call in a bunch of Esperna... Um, engineers who i guess know who, who i guess know how to fix the giant robots we learned that there are blood packs and this particular kind of guy mouth is special because the user dies if the robot is ever broken uh von goes into berserker mode because he has ptsd and murders all of delandau's crew hitomi is absorbed into the escaflone while trying to get out of him and dies again Everybody has a crisis of feelings. Delando is not taking things well and gets carted off by a bunch of people known as the Alchemists. While he is gone, two of Falcon's uh, right-hand cat people show up named uh, Aria and Nuria. Uh, everybody finds a path to the Mystic Valley using a journal that was left behind by Alan's father. We learn that Alan's father left his family because he was going to find this mystical valley and also while he was there he met Hitomi's grandmother who was also spirited away to this other world several generations ago. Alan's dad was even more of a trash bag than previously estimated. As it turns out Delando is being operated under something called a fate alteration experiment which has implications about things. Meanwhile everybody in the mystic valley is dealing badly. Van has so much PTSD. Alan is dealing with his daddy issues and the disappearance of his sister Selena many years ago, who he failed to save. As it turns out, Atlantis wasn't just a lost city, but our lost Atlantis, the one from Earth Myth, and they made Gaia with the power of their magical thoughts and the big machine that they built that ruined them all. So that also means that the power to influence... <laughs> God damn it, Dee! <laughs> this also means that the power to influence things with your thoughts means that Hitomi has literally been cursing everyone by making her teenage anxieties real with her uh, with her predictions. But it's okay because Van's mom shows up and tells them that it's okay. They just have to wish for a better future. And she gives a new energist to Van to put inside of uh, Escaflone. Then they all get magically, psychically transported 
to Dornkirk's throne room and he gives them a big fucking exposition dump about how he was a philosopher on Earth, but he escaped to Escaflone at the moment of his death because he wished so strongly to understand the nature of fate. And then they all escape, but oh no, Falcon has a plan because he's going to love Dr. Fate into a different arrangement by feeling at- by- by just- feeling emotions really hard until Hitomi and Alan kiss at an inopportune time and Van sees it, meaning that Hitomi and Van are separated and she is prime for kidnapping. And there is, oh no, a romantic misunderstanding. Nuria and, uh, Nuria and Aria have a flashback about how they were sad children until Falcon saved them and brought them over to his cause. And in order to be more helpful to him, have luck blood transferred into their veins which is a thing so now they're practically unbeatable <laughs> meanwhile during all of this Malerna gives up on her feelings for Alan in order to marry Dryden her fiance believing it will be the best thing for the kingdom but uncertain she asks Hitomi to give her a reading to see if this is really the right thing that she'd be doing and Hitomi confused about her feelings for Alan gives a false reading saying that the marriage will be will be good despite seeing portents of doom and because she does this Vulcan is able to stage an attack on the wedding and they all demand that Hitomi be turned over to the Zybok Empire which she does because she feels guilty and she is a sad teenager end of episode 20 <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it I did warn you guys this episode oh, might just man. be me cackling hysterically for a solid hour <laughs> also for, I'm pretty sure it took a solid hour to summarize the plot so uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Chatty AF we hope you liked it <laughs> and if you <laughs> everything happens so, so much. much see Next time, try doing it all in one breath. So yeah, I did. I did warn that it was going to get buck wild. I, used, I mean, I used to be able to do that shit in high school. Like, so much happens. Everything happens so much. So how did you like it? <laughs> it was good. Yeah, there was, I think, a quite a bit higher ratio of anime bullshit in the stretch than in previous stretches. Um, and I didn't remember a lot about it except that it was going to get buck wild. Um, but I think the show does just enough with kind of winking at the fact that it's doing anime bullshit that it sort of works and I wound up having a pretty good time even even though it was doing a lot of stuff that would normally just make me want to throw stuffed animals at my television. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. There were, well, the thing is that um, there were real anime bullshit moments, but those anime bullshit moments, um, which... The scene with Naria and Aria, where they were fencing. Uh-huh. Um, and at first, I, I have no idea which one is which. I think Aria is the gold one because she did the fake smooch scene. Okay. So I'm just going to go with that and hope that that's correct. Um, Naria pins Aria and is like, oh, I want to know what Falcon's lips tasted like. And it's weirdly horny and very uncomfortable because no twincest. Mm-hmm. Twincest is not allowed. It was very strange. But then, like, after that weirdness, like, they rolled over and, like, they started having a very genuine, like, kind of sisterly conversation. Um, and then it's like, okay, actually, I really like this. Um the way they're talking is like actually very genuine like and feels kind of authentic um having shared a room with my sister for my entire childhood yeah i feel like these two those two characters are responsible for at least 70% of the anime bullshit in this stretch yes. of episodes if we're honest cuz i also felt like distinctly uncomfortable with their sort of pet like coded relationship to Falcon. It's weird and uncomfortable. And the fact that they are like like they have fur, but they're also some of the only visual visibly brown characters in the show. And like with the Doppelganger we talked about last time, there's weird fantasy racism elements going on again and whoops, you done fucked it up again. Honestly when I was reading the manga, I heard these are another set of characters that I forgot were in the anime. In the manga, they're slightly more obnoxious. Uh, every word out of their mouth is a double entendre. It's very annoying, and then they die. <laughs> yeah, they're they're given more more development here for sure. Um, like they, the strokes of it are there, but I don't know. Aside of that one conversation, it falls kind of flat for me because it's 
they're characters who I feel like would work, character types that I have liked in other shows, but they have so little time, you know, mm-hmm. compared to everything else yeah. that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I think we need, like, for them to have really worked, we needed more backs more backstory on sort of how their um the cat people work in the world of Escaflone mm-hmm. cuz they were uh escaped slaves um they're the same species as Merle um, right and there's that one kind of interesting moment that never really comes back around of where they spare Vaughn because they see Merle who right. we, I guess we know now is explicitly a child yes like Merle is young um so yeah, they it seems like it it seems like loyalty is loyalty a thing with their with their particular species or are they is that just a coincidence that they are very loyal to Fulcan and Merle is very loyal to Vaughn is it a thing about how those two inspire loyalty um why like why were they why were they being cornered like that? Why were they treated like wild things? Like there's so so many like unanswered questions about their background that it doesn't really work, and it makes thing like their obsession with Fulcan very. It doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think that they were the kind of to me they feel them and and the the doppelganger character as well. Um, I get the sense that somebody put thought into the kind of people they were because they don't—they're not completely flat, right? There are glimmers in both of those in the, both of those very short arcs of like fully fleshed out people. Um, but I get the sense that within the within the narrative itself, they are primarily there to show us stuff about Falcon. Very, yeah, like their flashback about being abused and escaping and almost dying is a vehicle to show us that Falcon is kind. Yeah, or that's what it's supposed to show us. Um, and there is, again, this isn't really our lane, but there is a, uh, noted issue with having your marginalized characters exist primarily to forward the story of your, um, I mean, I guess in a way, Fulcan and Vaughn are kind of marginalized because they are mixed race and Draconians are reviled. So there is a connection there. Um, so I don't want to, I guess, I guess I should, I guess I need to acknowledge that. Um, but it still doesn't quite sit right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't help that they are basically introduced because we carted off Delandau for this arc and we need a, a mini boss antagonist. Yeah. Um they yeah. need more time to work. Um I also remember how I was like, Fulkin's my favorite character and I really like him. I'm not sure I think that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he maybe kinda sucks. <laughs> um, I think I and I don't I think the show wants us to like him i think he's supposed to be kind of a tragic figure who is trying to do good and is fucking up a lot of people's lives in the process um which mm-hmm. is interesting but still kind of sucks i 100 percent see how he would have been like teenage d's favorite he, character oh though, yeah so. no that yeah i mean it tracks right um right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he is like he he is misguided for sure he is not like a cackling villain he is not he's not pursuing selfish means but he is still like he messes up in some pretty significant ways that are not like not just like you know he meant well yeah i mean he's basically grooming child soldiers and whether that was the intention like again the show makes it i think the show tries to make it clear that like he genuinely cares about them and is concerned about them but does it make it better when the end result is still your grooming child soldiers? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um I yeah, this stretch I was like, "Oh damn, I used to really really like you and now I'm not so now I don't now I'm much more conflicted." Um and also that particular brand of anime bullshit where you have like multiple devoted foot soldiers but the women are like specifically and exclusively termed it like their devotion is always romantic. It's romance coded, yeah. And I don't mm, think I think that I, hate I it. think the series is pretty good about I don't think i don't think Falcon leads them on does that make sense like i think the kindness he shows them is is yeah. is platonic mm-hmm. so there's that at least um but he also doesn't really make That's, any effort yeah. to shut it down um and he has to know they're not exactly subtle about about how much they like they they care about him um mm-hmm. and the other thing here's like here's all. i think one of the bigger things um especially watching it now as as a grown-ass adult 
is if Falcon were the same age or very close to the same age as Vaughn and Hitomi, I would cut him a lot more slack. But yeah, he's, yeah, that's a good point. How like how old is he? Like, dude should probably know better, right? He's twenty five. I mean, is, he, is he thirty? Uh, he's probably in his. I mean, he's got to be twenty five. He's only twenty five. Okay. He's the same age as Alan. Sure. Really? Sure, I believe that. Um, well, uh-huh. and no, and that's and kind of the same thing with Alan, which we will we'll talk about him later. LOL. Is thing is there's there's a lot that's interesting about their characters, and I'm not a hundred percent sure how much the creators were aware of this when they decided to put that 10 year gap there. But there's a lot of slack. I will cut a teenage character in an anime that I will not cut a character in their mid twenties. Yeah. And well, because they're supposed to be able to make good decisions. Yeah. And so not terrible, (laughs) poorly thought out teenage decisions. Yeah. So there are, um, there were moments in this stretch where I was like, did you guys, did you guys realize that? Like, are we supposed to be harder on them or, or are we supposed to sympathize with them the same way we do the the teen characters? I'm not always sure what the, what the intent was. Given the way they try to spin Alan's dad, I think we're supposed to feel for them. Alan's dad is garbage, by the way. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Remember the part where he was pursuing a teenage girl he just wants to see this 15 year old again you guys he has a child you know like a 10 year old child but gosh seeing that teenager again really filled him with life thanks i hate it there's some there are some kind of interesting ideas twirling around um alan's shitbag of a father um especially in terms of like we see this come up with malerna too that kind of um conflict between like what like your duty like what you're supposed to do with your life like what's expected of you versus like what you actually want to do um and i Mm -hmm. think the way the series keeps kind of touching on that is interesting i'm not 100 percent sure what they're trying to say yet like i think maybe i'm hoping in the last arc we'll get some more concrete like answers to like the creative team will take a stance on some of this but i think there's definitely an argument happening here about how trying to fit into a prescribed role screws you up down the road and screws up a lot of other yes. people as well. Um, Cause like he ditches his family because he's like, well, no, I was just the only reason I started a family in the first place was because that's what you're supposed to do. Cool motive, still abandonment. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then I think you see that with, um, with Malerna, you know, she's, she's uh, decided to marry Dryden and there's, there's this conversation he told me has with her about, you know, but is that what you actually want? Like, do you actually care for him or are you just doing this for like political reasons um and that's kind of Hitomi's whole thing this arc too because when she's talking to uh Isaac Dornkirk whatever you want to call him he talks about you know I've made all the people of Zybok happy by basically determining their fates for them and Hitomi's like well no I don't think you should do that I don't think that like fabricated fate happiness is real um and she's very much about I mean she's you know she's 15 too but like she's very much about like following your heart and she's very passionate about that in this stretch um, and I like that about yeah. her, and I'm curious to see if the show wants us to lean that direction, or if they're gonna circle back around to like, no, 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 you sometimes do just sometimes you do have to do things for like because it's the right thing to do because it's the responsible thing to do. So I think there's that tension right. is and there. That was though. sort of that mm-hmm. was sort of what I was thinking of when she was talking to Malerna. Mm-hmm. Like Malerna is a princess; she has grown up with the reality that she is. Her marriage is primarily going to be for political reasons. And that's sort of something that always gets me in um, uh, medieval-ish settings. Is like, if they are, if they have been raised as like royalty or landed nobility, they have had like, marriage for love is not something that has really been part of their um, upbringing. Why, like, why is it treated as, like, something that's even possible? I really, what I wanted Malerna was to do was to turn around and say to Hitomi, like, this is what marriage is for in my world. Marriage is not about love. But, you know, that's not what Escaflone is all about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I mean, I think it's because I was watching this video on Fight Club and fascism the other day, but I was definitely thinking about that quote about, you know, fas- the appeal of fascism being that it frees people from the terrible burden of choice, which is very much what Dornkirk is mm-hmm. going for. Yes. People, mm-hmm. make bad de- people make bad decisions if you let them decide things for themselves. Like, ooh. This sounds like another mecha anime that came out recently. 
Uh, whether or not people mm. should be allowed to choose things for themselves. It's mm. planet, planet with. Yeah, I mean, this idea This idea with. pops up a lot in, um, I mean, fiction in general, but I think you see it a lot in anime as well, um, because... And because I think that I think there's a historical tension, especially within the last like 50, 60 years in Japan in particular, um, because um, arranged marriages and things like that stuck around longer there than they did here. So I think that you see that in in, in 90s anime. I mean, you know, this was coming out in the mid 90s. I think some of that tension is, is also coming from that sense of like, you know, you grew up in a family that were that ran a shop. And so obviously you're going to run that shop and that will be your future. And that kind of clashing up against right. well, a more against more individualistic ideas, um, <clears throat> right? Sacrificing your happiness for the good of the greater good of the group. The greater good. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Although, had to be done. It, <sighs> it was good. It was good. Thank you for that. Um, but in this case, it it was really hard. Like I got what they were going for. It was really hard for me because Dryden is clearly the better option. Yes, that is true. Like. He has a couple of those Han Solo-y sleazebag lines about how I always get what Ugh. I want. And yeah. Like, um, but Jared said that Dryden looks like if Han Solo were really into philosophy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Although- that's apt. No, that's apt. Um, <laughs> also, my mind melted out of my fucking head because Dryden's voice actor is also Akio Otori, is also uh, Fernanda Morsef, meaning that fucking Gankutsuo is just one big Escaflone reunion, you guys. I'm die. <laughs> I'm die. Yeah, once I realized that, I couldn't unhear it, too. And then I was like, I don't trust you, Dryden. What are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> like, and like, aside of those surface lines, like, Dryden's interests align with Malerna's. He seems to genuinely care about her and what she wants to do. He doesn't bullshit her with the like courtly night lines like like Alan does. He's very straightforward. He's aware that she is intelligent and capable. He um, could bring her weird medical textbooks from his trade route and be a good and supportive husband and they'd be really <laughs> cute, you guys. Yeah. No, but like, Dryden Dryden is definitely the better catch. But she mm-hmm. loves Alan. I'm like, she loves no. him. He's no. He you're. He sees you as a convenient source of affection and adoration, who looks kind of like his dead lover. This is a bad mm-hmm. decision. Yeah, no. Alan is is garbage. He's a garbage man from the garbage. I still uh, like and him. Then <laughs> oh. I was feeling what you were putting down last time around, but as soon as like he finds out that Malerna has rejected him, and then to fill that sad gap of. Aww, I'm not getting compliments anymore. He goes and max on Hitomi. Two things. One, it is a literal forced romance created by a fanfic machine. If Hitomi is under its influence, <laughs> then so is Alan. Um, <laughs> Doran Kirk really just wanted to make his ships real. <laughs> yeah. Falcon had an OTP and it didn't look like it was going to be canon. He was like, fuck it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> And he didn't. He didn't just write fan fiction like the rest of us. He uh, he co-opted the story. No, he LARPed <laughs> it. Uh, he made his own his own uh, YouTube video with uh, the cat yeah, girls. But my my point being, I think that if we're gonna, I think if we're not going to, I think if we're going to say Hitomi was definitely under the influence at that moment, and she was, I think we have to give that to Alan as well because they're both stuck in this fanfic machine. Um, yes. yes. I, I think it's just that ten years. It gap is, and again. you know the thing is, Alan's character design doesn't make him look ten years older than them. Like Falcon is clearly so much older than them, right? His character right. design makes him look like he's maybe a couple years older, and so I keep forgetting. Right, like eighteen or so nineteen. So when I'm so when I'm watching it, there's like a part of my brain that's like, "You're like ten years older, dude. You should know better." But then I keep forgetting <laughs> that, and I keep jumping back into like this this. Oh no, it's just that you know your your dad abandoned you, and your mom died when you were really young, and you like lived in the woods hitting people with your sword because you had nothing better to do and you're just so desperate to love be loved that anybody who comes to you and says i like you you're like yeah okay let's do it he is emotionally 16 he really is yeah um and i can i can sympathize with that character arc but again it's one of those things where if i take a step back and go wait he's 25 i'm like no you should still you still have to make better choices i understand the desperation to be loved i understand that you've lost a lot of people you cared about and you're very lonely but like you still need to make better choices you're a grown-ass adult yeah yeah it's it's a tough it, that one, like, it's amazing how one decision can, like, completely skew the context 
because like Hitomi makes bad decisions this arc, but I forgive her because she's 15 and being 15 means being dumb a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think any of us made all the best decisions when we were 15. Um, not that not I not all. that I didn't make bad decisions when I was 25. They were just a different kind of bad decision. Um, That's true. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I still find Alan to be kind of an interesting character. I think the I think the sort of the cyclical history stuff that we see with the past is pretty interesting with him because he's super mad at his dad for abandoning his family, and I'm like, yo, you technically have a son. Who you just kind of knew about and didn't do anything for, even from a distance. I mean, to be fair, I don't think they would let him he, do anything no, for him. No, he couldn't, but I, uh, I think a little, I think that we are, I think we're probably intended to see some parallels there. Um, maybe I'm, maybe yeah. I'm reading mm-hmm. too deeply into his character, um, but I think we're... No, I mean, like, cycles are a big part of the yeah. show, so... Um, and so, like, you know, when he's shouting at his dad, there may, there's, there's probably a part of him, because we did see him, you know, give a lot of... Uh, morose looks at uh at prince sheed in those early episodes so i I wonder if a little bit of that is projection um but Mm -hmm. i the other thing i kind of love about alan is the narrative throws shade at him in these really amazing ways um (laughs) like on the one hand i think we're supposed to kind of sympathize with him i think that we're i i don't think the creators necessarily thought as hard as they should have about the fact that he's 10 years older than uh, the other characters which is why sometimes i have to just put that on a shelf and not engage with it when I'm watching the show. Um, and fantasy universes will do that to me a lot too, because age ages are just different because there's 15 year olds fighting in wars and nobody thinks that's weird. So, um, but cough, cough, Tamora Pierce, cough, cough. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty common thing in fantasy series. And so that those like layers of unreality make it, make it. So I sometimes will ignore ages a little bit more than maybe I should. Um, I admit that, but, um, I think on, but I think on another level, the narrative is kind of mocking him for, Vaughn and Hitomi are trying to acknowledge their past mistakes and move forward, and it feels like he just keeps doing the same thing over and over again. Like, he's stuck in the loop, whereas they're moving they're moving past it. Um, and I think the narrative is kind of making fun of him for that, and I love it, because um, that part where they're, <laughs> where they're fleeing, where they end up in Zybok and they're fleeing, and he steps in front of Hitomi and he draws his sword all noble and is like, I'll protect you even if it costs me my life. And then Vaughn shows up immediately behind them in the on the dragon and he's like, Hitomi! And Hitomi turns around and her face lights up like the sun has just shone out from behind the clouds. <laughs> and she's like, Vaughn! <laughs> and just jumps like onto the oh dragon. God, so and funny. Alan looks so annoyed. <laughs> that he didn't get to he didn't get to be the hero knight like he's very much stuck in this role that nobody actually needs him to play anymore and i once again like i said last week i find it kind of pathetic and uh a little bit moe at times so that's right that's where i am with alan the trash bag Do you want to just just pat his head and be like it's okay I just you'll be relevant again someday. I want to I want to <laughs> drag him out of that. I want to say get your shit together. I think you've got some good points. I think that you've been a pretty good mentor for Vaughn sometimes, but like get your shit together. <laughs> um, you're 25. Get your shit together. That's how I feel right now about Alan. Meanwhile, Vaughn is dealing with just debilitating PTSD. And again, Aww. this show aired right on the heels of of Evangelion and had been in development for like two years. So. It's trying, so it's not copying Ava, but it's also trying to do the what if war had real psychological consequences thing in like a lesser, more fantasy grounded way and just got totally ignored by everyone. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't call it lesser. I I just mean that like there's less uh, dialed in narrative focus on it it, uh, uh, comparatively. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Not lesser as in qualitative, just quantitative. Right. I guess, like, I I personally, I really liked how they did it in this show, like, because the thing is that when he was, it, he was in the guy, um, in the Escaflone, and the other soldiers were in the guy Malefs, like, they, he could kill them, he didn't see them, like, see them personally, but once he was able to, like, really merge with the Escaflone, and he could like started having these visions of the people that he killed and then all of a sudden he has to deal with the the fact that he has killed people um he wasn't just fighting other robots he was uh ending ending lives and that they were in their last moments scared 
and hurting and he was the one who did this and it just it breaks him um and is you know it maybe it's not as grounded as evangelion but um i mean again, i, I that really was... i thought that was a really good part of his arc um and sort of seeing and and an, like an important an important thing for him to realize for him to really be a fully sympathetic character and it's a kind of cliche but i think that the way the show handled it was um uh really good yeah and uh very distinct yeah i um i like the I think there's, you know, the the sort of metaphorical, um, you know, sort of cutscenes you get. The the dream visions were were a nice way to address it directly, um, but also sort of poetically. Um, I really appreciate that. One of the main issues is that he won't admit it or talk to anybody about it, and it's only when he finally does that he starts to kind of start to get better. Um, you know, he's willing to reach out to Hitomi and work together and kind of share that burden. And, um, and I, so I, I like that element of, um, you know, not, not just like, not just ignoring your fear and saying, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Like he talks about it and that's, that's where the, that's where the next step is. Um, it also helps that Seki Tomokazu acts the absolute fuck out of those scenes because he's amazing. Um, he's very, very good in those moments. So also side note, that I wanted to, that I meant to bring up last time, but I guess I'll bring it up now. Uh, Escaflone ran on TV for like a hot minute in 2000 <laughs> on Fox Kids. Yeah, uh, so, but and it only made it. I've heard conflicting reports because I've seen recovered audio of of the dub all the way up to episode 20, but supposedly it stopped airing right after episode 12, which coincidentally was, which is why I brought it up now, right before Vaughn goes on his extremely gory murder, um, murder rampage. And like, there are conflicting reports that it was partially because, you know, those first cup that, that first set of episodes is fairly action heavy and then this one is all about feelings and romance and oh no that's for girls and we can't market that anymore but i feel like the just alarming amount of blood and truly horrific violence might have played a part aside like aside i brought up the inevitable comparison but i do think that von's arc is handled pretty well and like what it drives him towards as far as the series themes of empathy although then this for the rest of it when when van is like vowing not to kill and then well he'll do it if he has to from there on the fights tend to come to convenient ends that don't require him to make that decision as well, of yet yeah and i kind of wanted to talk to you about that because his, the, his decision one of them is like you know he kind of faces up to his own guilt and you know sorrow and decides like i'm gonna forge forward anyway um which is good mm-hmm. um but the other thing is he kind of comes out of his um his dream quest um no, I shouldn't call it that. Um, they had a, they had a, ter- it's, it's, you know, he has his, uh, he comes out of his, um, it's the river scene from Metal Gear Solid 3, which I'm pretty, which I'm now wondering if Kojima stole from this. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, something to call it that's not, like, colonialist. Bullshit? Yeah, that's why I caught my, that's why I caught <laughs> yeah. myself there and went, no, no, that's not okay. Um, Vaughn comes out of his, uh, his little vision with, uh, Balthus. His journey to the center of the yeah. mind, if you will. Um, and it kind of feels like the decision he's come to is very similar to Fulkin's. Like, I'm going to stop this violence with more violence. Um, you know, because then mm. he immediately goes to Hitomi and is like, hey, so I need your power. Um, and part of that is him misspeaking like a dumb kid. Um, but part of it is also that he does still kind of see her as like a vehicle of power to help win a war. Um, and I'll be real curious to see, because, again, I don't remember the plot. I'll be real curious to see how they address that in the next six episodes. Um, because I do think mm-hmm. the parallels between him and Falcon are really interesting. But I don't get the sense that the show wants that to be the end game. Um, I think the show is pushing for something where we, you know, uh, is pushing more for forgiveness and love and belief. And, like, Hitomi's powers, you know, there's that, that idea of, like, when she has faith in somebody, her powers are effective and are used to like help people um and so i again i'm kind of curious to see how they how they play that out in the last six episodes because it could get real messy or they could do a good job with it we'll see i just you know this whole second like this whole part happened because with uh alan and hitomi and vaughn and the destiny thing 
it was able to happen because Vaughn is an idiot and <laughs> and said that like I need to use your powers instead of like I need you. I care about you and you're important <laughs> to me and yeah, I want you around, you know. <laughs> like I want you by I, my I side. Treat her like a person, not a not a tool. Like that whole thing and so like when Vaughn is not the whole thing is like when Vaughn is being emotionally honest, good things happen. When Vaughn is being closed mm-hmm. off, like that's when the bad stuff that's happens. That's a very good point. Like um, when he Vaughn needs to be honest with himself about his uh about his own emotions. Um, because when he's not, that sort of leaves things open for the de- destiny prognostication to uh to come in that uh creates a weak a weak point which i think feeds into the uh, idea that the show is largely about being true to mm-hmm. yourself kind of a clever idea at play especially with hitomi and one of the things that alan's dirtbag father says that uh kind of pinged with me and i thought was um sort of a sort of a wise thing that they threw into the show was he basically says like the power to make your wishes come true is useless because most people never don't actually know what they want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and That's we true. see that with again i kind of kind of talked about this last week too like um when characters are uncertain they become more ineffective um and we see that a lot with Hitomi this week and you know her 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 magic fate powers becoming kind of like wibbly because uh she doesn't actually she doesn't really know what she wants she's not like i don't think she's lying to herself i think she genuinely doesn't know how she feels right now um you know she cares about malerna she wants malerna to be happy Mm -hmm. she's pretty sure she likes alan but she's got some weird feels for vaughn right now that she's not quite sure how to quantify um right like alan looks like looks like her senpai same voice actor too Um, so (laughs) Mm. but she But she has this like very close friendship with Vaughn, um, and she, you know, she she maybe doesn't acknowledge to herself, but she definitely thinks Vaughn is cute at this point. Like, yeah, no, she, ev- like everyone just needs to like be honest with themselves. I will <laughs> say that like the other thirty percent of anime bullshit in this uh, in this run of episodes is I know that Vaughn is caught in the whirlpool of the fanfic machine. But he's got very convenient ro- ro- uh, love triangle I know, timing throughout. I, I laughed. I uh, oh his his sad face in the rain. Oh, I that stops so immediately. Nice. Of course it does. Um, the the thing that like, that was the moment that I was saying earlier that like some of the some of the anime bullshit. Like I feel like the show does a nice job of kind of making it work. The thing I I genuinely love about that whole scene though is that it is it's when we complain about like oh that forced romance in that sh- in that show that didn't need to be there, it literally is a forced romance. You know what I mean? Like yes. like narratively speaking, th- that is the thing we always complain about. Like those are all the bullshit cliche tropes, and they happened because somebody else forced them to happen within the story itself. And I kind of love that. Um, so I laughed during that scene a lot because I thought that was clever and fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, well, I mean, like Fushigi Yugi, this is a show that dabbles in, you know, adolescent metaphors where who you want to smooch is literally the power that will determine the fate of the world. And also, kids, your your, your intrusive thoughts are real and they are making life worse. Yeah, Hitomi's anxiety Which- made manifest is... Um- is a brutal metaphor um, that I think we can it all is. kind of kind of go it, it is, and feel for. It, it is one of the two spoilers that has stuck with me all of these years, and it's it's one of those things that I, if it had been written slightly differently, I would have it, it would come off as kind of distasteful to me in terms of like, oh, you you uh, you got depression and anxiety. You say, well, you should just try thinking positively. That'll work. Yeah, but because that. Because it a because it's so like grounded in the world, this idea that wishes make reality and, and you know the rest of the metaphor stuff, it ends up coming across a little bit more as wish fulfillment. Like, yeah, your bad thoughts do do bad things. The worst fear for an anxious teenager, but also you have this power to demonstrably magically affect the world with your good thoughts and you know it will work rather than just it being a bullshit platitude about positive thinking 
Yeah, I love fantasy. Right. I love and fantasy I think... shows that that uh, <laughs> like literalize adolescent uh, fears mm-hmm. and concerns, and and like you said, kind of kind of that wish fulfillment aspect of like. Oh, well, you know, I, maybe that, you know, it kind of encourage. I guess it's encouraging for the audience is how I would describe it, so. Um, and I think the thing is that it's like, it doesn't, Hitomi feels guilty, but no one tries to m- make her feel guilty, if that makes sense. Like, she, mm-hmm. it's they, they say like, yeah, no, like, these things have happened because of your power and you have the stone and that sucks um, because no one can blame you for feeling like feeling that way and having those worries. Um, and no one turns around and says, well, try to think good thoughts. Yeah, that's it's just, the other it's, thing. Is it's it's not just... more like sucks, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it's not just think good thoughts, be happy because we're uncomfortable with you being anxious or depressed. It's take concrete, like assess your life and take concrete steps and you will make changes and i like that mm-hmm. i i really like hitomi i love that like because the the whole the whole fortune telling scene to me would have been so much more frustrating if she didn't genuinely want malerna to be happy like that's she's such a sweet she kid. really is like yeah. and i like that the show the scene where she and malerna and merle are um uh failing the bechdel test real hard um uh-huh. is not my favorite scene in the show but i think it's sort of it continues to be kind of um undercut or underscored i'm not quite sure which one i should use in this circumstance um by the fact that the three of them genuinely like each other and we see that all the time um so even when they have this this kind of cliche moment of like well no i like him well so do i oh snap kind of thing um (laughs) it doesn't really go anywhere because like you said like hitomi she does like alan or she thinks she likes alan and but she also likes Malerna like she genuinely likes her so um it's it's very much like genuine conflicted teen feelings of like I like somebody that my friend likes how how do I handle that and so it doesn't it doesn't fall into like you know crappy women be competing troops as we have discussed in the past and I do wish god I wish they would drop it with Merle like especially after we've learned that she is probably a prepubescent child like it Weirdly, it's after that moment that instead of dialing it into a more like sibling-y bond between the two of them, you have that scene where you you have the, well, which one do you like scene? And it's like, God, just please stop. Please stop. She doesn't have a chance and we know it and this is irritating. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I think it's fine for, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all in the show because like it tracks for me. It I understand why Merle likes Vaughn as much as she does. Um, she's 13, by the way. She's two years younger than them. Mm. Um which is again quite it's it's you know especially at that age quite a bit younger but she's not like eight um she's also a teenager um and there's never any there's never any sense that Vaughn reciprocates you know um yeah he Vaughn loves Merle as a friend like Um, it's not gross to me it's just irritating in how it's drawn out like it's a trope I don't like is all sure that's fine yeah that's fair yeah fair enough that's all I don't know how to pivot away from that. Who haven't we talked about yet? I feel like I want to talk about Delondao so bad, but it's going to be really hard for me not to talk about his the rest of his arc because like he has a fairly significant scene in this run of episodes and then he's just like gone for the other five. So I think I'm going to put a pin in that and just talk about him a whole bunch in the well, last episode. Well, real quick, episode. Right, real quick. Yeah. Is Delondao okay? He's super he's not super okay. Not this, I think I think extremely not okay this time around. Um, I think we can definitively yeah, no, say. Uh, I don't think he is okay under any definition of the of the term. No, okay. um, he has clearly been uh, fucked with real bad by these alchemist folks that we don't really know anything about, except that they're um, what's the word ominous. <laughs> they're ominous, um, <laughs> and he it does. I well, and I think at some point when I can keep the plot in my head long enough to form complete thoughts about it, I think there are, no, I know, which is why I'm probably never going to write this essay. I think there's probably, I think there's (laughs) something really um, fascinating going on with uh, like parallels between like Zybok and, um, and our, and our heroes. Um, And I've, I've talked a little bit about how I think there's some stuff between Falcon and Vaughn, but I think there's some good stuff between Vaughn and Delandau. And this week, you know, one of the things we see, I think, is both of them sort of dealing with trauma and loss, but 
Vaughn is able to reach out and find people who he can, who will support him. And that scene where Hitomi, you know, helps him find the Escaflona and like shares the pain, the burden of the pain with him is a really good scene of these two like characters of equals coming together. Um, And meanwhile, Delandau has nobody now and collapses, like just, you know, has a complete breakdown. Um, And again, we can't, we can't really get into, again, like, Clearly, this is going to come back. I don't think it's a spoiler to tell folks at home, like, Delando's not just gone from the story. He'll be back. Um, right. Well, it, it, it messes with his uh, his part in the Destiny prognostication. I think we can say that much. Yeah, well, um, and in the very first episode, I mentioned that, like, comparatively, Vaughn and um, Vaughn is struggling with toxic masculinity. Delando seems like an embodiment of it, and I... Like, yes. he's literally been surgically, precisionly fucked with to be that, like, tiny little ball of violent rage. And it's kind of why I'm a little bit more forgiving of him than I probably should be, because he's obviously awful. He's he's a terrible, murdering, like, ball of violence who is awful even to the men who are his family before they all die horribly. But also, he's, like, he's also a teenager and you get the feeling that maybe this has happened before and every time his programming starts to waver and it breaks his mind a little more, they put him back under the knife. I mean, I talked earlier about grooming child soldiers and that's kind of what we do appear to be dealing with here. Um, Yeah. And and like you said, like the fact, I think the fact that he's 15, like, yeah, he's awful, but he's also a, he's also a child soldier who has been um, pretty, pretty clearly Fucked fucked with very badly. Um, and I don't think, I don't, you know, so uh, I agree with you there. I think it's, I think that makes it a little bit easier to, to feel sympathy for Delandau, even when he's being objectively terrible. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, we're going to put a pin in that and I'm just going to scream a lot. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> uh, I just want to say that there's some weird imagery around the Destiny prognostication machine. How so? Like, it looks like. When it shows the shots of, like, the workings of it, I it looks like sperm swimming around DNA. Yeah. And I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean. They're birthing, they're <laughs> birthing a new future. I mean, there is a lot of organic <laughs> imagery around the fate stuff. And, like, a, it's sort of been backgrounded since the early episodes, but there's definitely that that tension between newfangled metallic looking tech and old organic looking tech, which is better. Yeah. I mean, Isaac shows up and um, gives them science to uh, free them (laughs) from their, their sadness. Um, And then you look out over Zybok and you're like, are we sure the fascist state is happy? Cause I'm not sure. I'm sure. Although I want to, although those uh, Zybok suits, those Zybok Imlifts look pretty organic. Just gonna say that again. <laughs> they, they Sushi. are, they are giant penises. This is true. Um, <laughs> what is this? All this like dick-related imagery around. It's it. almost like the show is maybe having a conversation about toxic masculinity on purpose. Mm-hmm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Quite what? Po- politics and anime. Maybe it's a stretch. <laughs> no. Here, here nor there, I do love the scene with the dragon slayer ghosts. Like, it's so cheesy, it is, it but it's is. also like, oh no, my heart. It's a really it good is. scene. I also like that it's um, not 100% clear if there are literal ghosts, because it's a fantasy verse, there could be. Or if that's just, like, right. Vaughn's guilt and, you know, trauma manifesting itself. And, and the colors are so good, and oh my god, oh my god, this this so pretty this show so there's so some pretty. really excellent storyboarding and imagery used and i mean pretty much all the way through the show but definitely some stretches in these episodes where i was mm-hmm. i just kept being like hot damn that's a good shot so and also like that scene where escaflone is a dragon and falls from the eclipsed moon because of zybox shipped and it's so fucking good <laughs> sorry it's sometimes i geek out about story no, that's a i think that's totally fair again this is a this is a show that clearly uh, despite the plot sometimes being incomprehensible, uh, clearly a lot of love was put into it. Um, and the can we talk about Manga Delando? Yes, we Let's can. Let's talk about Manga Delando. He is n- weird. It's so weird because, like, it, a I think it's an inferior character writing wise. The design. I mean, you could, could say that about any character in the Escaflone manga. 
Fair. The character design could be interesting, except that it's it's it, it ends up being more like Escaflone did a whoops because now Delando is the only like visibly brown skinned character, and he's a violent psychopath. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, he's, he's a completely different character in the manga, and I don't remember his deal. Um, he starts, well, he was maybe a prince of another nation who got taken in by Zybok after he killed his mother, but he killed his mother in self-defense because she tried to murder him, and he has got a lot of issues about that. Um, Vaughn's mom is a way bigger character in the manga, she gets kidnapped early on, and, like, Delando carts her around for a while before accidentally murdering her because they're in a hallucination forest, and he thinks it's his mom trying to kill him again. So, then Delando joins up with Vaughn's party for a while, and you think it's going to be, like, a, like, a, I am a, you know, morally ambiguous anti-hero warrior type thing, but then they decide to drop that plot thread entirely, and he winds up going back into violent murder gay town to kind of get back into a parallel track with the anime version, and then he dies, and it sucks. <sighs> it's bad. That's yeah. The There's nothing bad. good and about it. it nope. No. No. Oh, and his version of Violent Murder Gay is that instead of, his, you know, him having a team who dies and he's real broke up about it, he, after he, he stabs the, he has another freak out and stabs the only other person who sh was showing giving a, fuck, uh, giving a fuck about him, who is like the younger recruit who kind of idolized him and maybe had a crush. It sucks. So Good much. Stuff. I'm, I'm glad I've never read it and I'm never going to. You don't have any idle curiosity to... No, I feel that you have painted a word picture for me, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Don't read the manga, y'all. Don't do it. I think it might be out of print anyway. Yeah, but it's cheap on Amazon, but still don't get it. Yeah, j don't. Don't pay, pay zero monies for this. But also don't, don't pirate. Yeah, don't just, do that. Just, 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 don't. just leave it just... alone. Just watch the anime, like we are right now. Much better, yes. um, despite some frustrations. Yes. Oh, I remembered one other thing I wanted to bring up. Um, and I don't have an answer for this, but I'm kind of curious what you guys think about this. Um, during the uh, flashback dream sequence, sequences, I should say, um, I thought it was noteworthy that um, both Vaughn and Hitomi's sort of uh, flashback moments are... Um, well, Vaughn's kind of a mix. So Hitomi's is like maternal attachment, right? It's her grandma. Um, and it's characterized by, you know, trust and love. And like they clearly had this this strong bond. Her grandma encourages her to like, you know, have belief in others. Vaughn has kind of a dual, has kind of a dual one because he has, uh, is it Balthus? Am I mispronouncing his name over and over Balgus. again? Balgus. Balgus, thank you. He has the one with him and then he has the one with his mom. So he kind of has a combination of the two. And he is a character who seems to be kind of fighting with this balance between like, you know, masculine aggression and more feminine coded, um, like compassion and caring. Um, and then Alan's is purely of this paternal attachment that is completely characterized by like resentment and anger. And I just noticed this thing, and then watching the, traje the trajectories of their characters and, like, the, the, um, sort of the, what's the word I'm looking for? The family members and mentor figures who are kind of, like, the ghosts of their past that they carry with them and how that affects their characters. And that it does, there does seem to be kind of a gendered role situation here, and the fact that Alan is becoming increasingly in ineffective and shitty, whereas Hitomi and Vaughn seem to be, you know, trying to navigate their way, um into being, like, better, more uh, rounded people. Um, something I noticed. That is definitely a thing that is going on. I will say, shout out to them doing that thing that I kind of hate in anime, especially when they haven't earned it, where he's like, no, you really loved your dad all along and we're looking for a way to forgive him. For what? Being an asshole just because he had a good reason for it? Yeah, I that was one of those points where I'm like, yeah. I disagree with you here. I don't I don't think like I I understand. I think I get where Hitomi's coming from in, in terms of like Alan probably is searching for some kind of reason to like make peace with this thing that's been pissing him off forever. Um but I don't think his dad deserves forgiveness. No. I think Alan needs to make peace with it because I don't think he's ever going to be able to move on from the fact that he just jumps into the arms of anybody who shows him affection. I don't think that's good. Um <laughs> 
but I don't think I don't think forgiveness is necessarily the answer. So I think that is one place. And I think the anime is probably pushing it that way, and that is one place with the I series do... where I, I pretty strongly disagree with them. I do. I feel like forgiveness is one of those is is a cultural one of those cultural issues, like a less obvious one, um, because forgiveness is very um, heavily emphasized in Japan. Um, when I was living there, like they during the orientation, they were like, "Yeah, no, f- like forgiveness and apologizing is a really big deal." Like sometimes in uh, they were like, uh, one factoid they gave us was saying that in a car crash, uh, who has to deal with the insurance more and who's considered responsible, uh, whether or not you apologize can be factored into it and not apologizing in the u.s uh apparently it can be factored into it because if you apologize it's an admission of fault and that can da- that can hurt you but if you don't apologize in japan like that can be like seen as i don't well i don't know exactly what it can be seen as but they told us uh that <laughs> not apologizing makes you look way worse in the case and you're more likely to come off uh to get the short end of the stick so always apologize and <laughs> and uh, hope for forgiveness. I mean, so I think that is a, a more cultural thing. So I I so I see what you're saying. Um, having grown up in a uh, uh, white Midwestern Catholic uh, community family, um, that is that's what you just described is pretty much legit how I was raised too. like forgiveness is very much like top priority. Um, and a lot, and most of the time I would agree with that, but like, and I think that's something that I've kind of had to come to terms with myself over the past, I don't know, five to 10 years of adulthood is that sometimes making peace doesn't necessarily mean forgiveness. And it's, 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 it's Mm -hmm. complicated, right? Like, I think that's always my, my instinct too, is like, well, you know, you should, you should be able to forgive somebody else for their faults and move on from that. Um, and then having spoken to people who have um, gone through some pretty terrible situations that I certainly have not, um, I've had to kind of re reorganize, reorient my my thought process on that. Um, and that so that's that's the position I'm coming from. Like I get where the show is coming from um, because I've absolutely been there, and I've I've reached a point now where I'm like mm, I'm not I'm still not sure I agree with you. Like no, absolutely. It's you know it's just. Um... And, and obviously family is a huge part of it too. Um, and, and again, that's, that's, that's a, that's a culture I came from as well, where it was like, well, no, I mean, you should forgive them for it because they're, they're family, they're, you know, this or that. Um, I think that's, I think that was very common, um, in, in the, in the particular subculture I grew up in as well. Um, so I see where it's coming from, like very much so. Um, I sometimes, I, I agree that we need to like take into account some, the cultural differences, but at the same time, I think sometimes we overplay those cultural differences because again, Mm. I relate to that very strongly. Um, and I'm still saying that "Mm, maybe Alan doesn't need to forgive his dad. So (laughs) good convo, good convo. I'll bring us in for the, the thing now. Uh, yeah, so that about wraps us up for this discussion, I think. And next time we'll be watching the last stretch of the series, episodes 21 to 26, which there will be probably, if nothing else, emotions. I think we can all guarantee that. A lot of stuff will happen. Uh, so, yeah, if you're watching along with us, you know, that's still on Funimation or on the Blu-rays that you purchased. Don't do piracy, kids. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. If you liked this episode, you can find more episodes by searching for Anime Feminist on SoundCloud. If you really liked what you heard, you can toss us a dollar on Patreon. Every little bit helps us to pay our contributors and our editors and move towards making the site a better and more, uh, nope, uh, <laughs> making the, <laughs> sometimes words do bad, um, making the site a better and brighter place. And thank you so much. It will have been a little while ago by the time this goes up, but as we're recording, we have just passed our crowdfunding goal to help make the site more accessible. And we are so- In the second day. So excited. It was amazing. Y'all are amazing. Seriously. Yeah. I still don't actually believe it's true. I keep looking at the numbers and just going, huh. (sighs) Like I'm just kind of in shock. Happy, happy shock. So thank y'all. Seriously. 
we're, we're super excited to be able to do that and to make the site more accessible to more people and to make transcripts for these podcasts. Yay! Uh, but yes, so in the meantime, if you want to hear more from our contributors, you can check out our website uh, at www.animefeminist.com or you can check us out on social media. We're on Facebook at Anime Femme, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. And remember, your feelings matter in that you are completely ruining the world around you with everything you... Wait, no. No, no, no. no. That can't be right. (laughs) 